0: I grew up in front of a church that was, I'll just say it nicely, unusual for me. By the time I was 19, I'd been in church five times. Three were for weddings, two were for kites on Easter. I did not want to be part of that church. I had no idea. It was ultra-conservative, and I used to think that there were normal people and then there were religious people. I still think that. (laughs) and uh but as i was growing up my grandparents weren't christians and i wasn't christian i didn't grow up in a, a godly home at all but i remember thinking somewhere along the line after i became a christian that the way the way i was treated by my family none of the none of the seven kids were christians none of them, mom was no christian but i was the first christian in the family and uh they said, "Well, can we still drink around Jerry? Can we still smoke? Can we gamble? Can we play poker at Thanksgiving? Because we have got a couple Marines in my family dude. Marine versus the Army guys—and so. But the idea is that if you get Jesus, or if you get religious, like do 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 do, do something weird happens to you, and all of a sudden you're just weird." And so I got to thinking about that, thinking that for most of my life I thought that humans were just kind of going through life and growing up and learning and working and having relationships and then all of a sudden you hit reality and I don't know what happens but they get zapped by the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden they have this spiritual experience and they become religious or something. Then after a while I thought, we're not, no, that's not the way it is. We're not humans who are living our lives and then we get zapped and have a spiritual experience. As much as we are spirits having a human experience, we are spirits living in the world having a a social, relational, human level. And that's the relationship between spirit and spirit. That really indicates what's going on in our lives. And so when you say to somebody, hey, how are you? You're asking about relational spirituality. How's your spirit? You wouldn't say it that way. But you're saying, how are you? Are you okay? And when you talk about emotional health or mental health or physical health, you're talking about physically I'm okay, but that there are a lot of people who are not physically or mentally or emotionally okay. And so they get into the situation that there's a contrast in the world. And so the way you see yourself and the way you see yourself in the world is the very thing that Paul is going to say uh, some words to us here in Scripture. And so this is part two of looking at the world through the Spirit's eyes. We're we're trying to get that worldview, the kingdom perspective. And so to come and sit at his class, um, it's a Spirit's master class. And we're just greenhorns. Um, young guys Jonathan Edwards said this truth is the agreement of our ideas with the ideas of God Jonathan Edwards was probably the prominent foremost theologian in the colonies as the constitution was being set up in the United States but he was definitely regarded as the Martin Luther or the John Calvin of America and yet, uh, 1750, he's been around for 300 years. So I stole this from. Can I do that? I guess not I... So I adapted this and I thought, well, what's a Jerryism? So I took this, I said, well, wisdom then is the agreement of our values with the values of God. So you got truth and then you got this wisdom, which Paul will talk about. And then I th- I'm on a roll, so I might as well steal some more. I said, well, love is is the agreement of our spirit to love with the same love that the Spirit of God had. There's something that takes place when, when God and man come together. And that dynamic is not always smooth and easy. But at least <clears throat> for Paul, as he's going into this country of, of, of Greece, Corinth region, a very, very wealthy, successful town where wisdom and and prestige and money and money and money this is the las vegas new york uh la singapore tokyo this city was the number one city of wealth in greece at that time and it was the third largest roman colony <clears throat> and so paul goes into this Place and as he's sharing his spirit and sharing his understanding about the gospel of Christ, they receive Christ and they grow a little bit. And he was there a year and a half with them. But something happens in that church that's happening in our churches today, the same thing that I hope you get. And what I want to do, excuse me, is to give you again, I, I, I want to give you a platform to see how Paul is addressing the Corinthians because that information is so, so vital, so essential that I don't want you to miss it. And if you don't get it, that's okay because I will go over again until you really say, okay, I I think I'm understanding what you're saying, Pastor. Why were the Corinthians having such stressful relational problems? And there's a whole number of them as you get into this book, but more than just explaining why they were having problems and having some kind of finger, you should be doing this, you should be doing this. and it's not Paul doesn't doesn't have that mindset, but he wants to have them understand that they needed to be in agreement with the mind of Christ. And where there is no agreement, there's conflict. And that's because there's something that Paul understood, and I think, I think this is probably a training time for Paul as he's going from church to church, but I certainly think that he learned from the Corinthians something that he took with him to go to Ephesus and he you could hear you hear it in Acts nineteen that Paul has something on his heart that he he talks about everywhere he goes, and so as he goes into Corinthians, he is very much aware of the fact that the Holy Spirit is at work in these, in these Corinthians in such a way that he's so far away from Israel. He's so far away from the Old Testament. He is so far away from anything that's religious that all he has is raw humanity. And so as Paul gets into this passage he began to understand that without this Holy Spirit working inside the human mind, without Him, we are left to our own understanding, our own wisdom, and we will not have the peace of God. We will, we will work and analyze. But Paul understood that the anthropology, the human experience, was going to be divided unless it comes together for some reason, for some purpose, greater than itself. And so Paul would say that if you're going to think as a human about love, it will be a fleshly love. Fleshly meaning without the Holy Spirit. And Paul, <clears throat> Paul understood that the conflict that they had was people coming together as maybe religious, but different kind of religions, pagan religions or cultural religions or civil religions, but they had, they had a way of thinking about life and God and people. But when Paul comes in, he's bringing in this Holy Spirit perspective and there's a conflict. There's a way which seems right to a man, Proverbs says, Proverbs fourteen twelve. 12, he's said this before. It's a, it's a human way, a worldly way, a fleshly way, a Corinthian way. And unique to Corinth, you'll hear that about chapter five in the next couple of weeks. But there's a natural way. He says, "This is just the way you think without the Spirit of God." And so as Paul gets into this, he's thinking about how these Mediterranean cultures he's thinking about how they don't understand the Holy Spirit, and that there is a way, a human way. And when he wrote Romans 7 14, this is what he says For I know that in me, that in my flesh, apart from God, dwelleth no good thing, for that is in me. That is, in my flesh dwelleth something, um, this idea that I want to do good is present. I want to do good. I want to do good, but how to perform that? which is good, I find not, as the old King James would say, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not do, that I do. Can you explain, O wise one, why intelligent people make dumb mistakes? Can you explain that? That when a lawyer who's very successful climbs on a snow-covered roof next to his neighbor to get a sneaking peek at a teenage girl taking a shower next door and it slip slides down the roof and falls and breaks his leg and then is arrested for being a peeping Tom and puts his whole career in jeopardy. Why do intelligent people give in to things that will destroy them? I, it's just a crazy thing. <clears throat> I don't speak out of somebody. This is me. I do, I do crazy things. The flesh, the flesh is not going to listen to the Spirit. And therefore, when you hear that sin dwells inside of you and it's operating to take that which is right and turn it into that which is not right. J.B. Phillips put it this way. I often find that I have the will to do good. I want to do good, but I don't do what I want to do. You ever been there? Sure you have because this applies to you as it does to me because I know that I'm no different than you. I don't accomplish the good that I set out to do. There's intentions. Good intentions. The way to hell is paved with good intentions. The evil that I don't really want to do I find I'm always doing. You ever find that you're always starting over again? Like... Oh, I messed that one up, so I won't do that again. Or I I should have have done that. And you have these patterns, these uh, uh, thought patterns that just kind of are like goat paths. You just kind of go back into these habits, and it's crazy. But the nature of our intentions are good, but the attempt to flee from sin on a human level and our self-serving agendas on a human level is ineffective. You can't change yourself. Because the flesh can't correct the flesh. And it does not liberate us from our sin. And so Paul is saying, there's a way which seems right, but it's futile. And that end is the way of death. Not just physical death, but spiritual, relational conflict. And therefore, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, yeah, I understand this human wisdom. I have dealt with that in my own life, Paul would say. But there's another way. But it is a way. No way way. No, there is a way. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. It goes on, David would say it this way in Psalm 73. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. In his way. The way of a good man is delightful. Now whether that passage means that God delights in that man or the man delights in God's way, both are there. But the one who delights is the one who's delightful. Though he may stumble, he will not fall. Though he stumble, that doesn't mean he's a failure. Because the Lord upholds him with his hand. The idea that grace is there for us, the wisdom to know that the Lord doesn't let us just go our own way without tapping us on the shoulder is a work of the holy spirit now the idea that this holy spirit is somehow involved in our human cultures in a way that is a very very confusing thing been confusing for a lot of people for a lot of long time but jesus very well knew that everything he did was in connection with the holy spirit and so it says in Acts that with uh, Jesus, the Holy Spirit and power, he went around doing those things because it wasn't just Jesus doing these things. Jesus had this relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so let me give you this poem. You've heard it before. It's by Tara Lee Ka- Kabul. She's a songwriter, poet, quoted often. It says, Two natures beat within my breast, the one is foul the one is blessed. The one I love and the one I hate, but the one I feed will dominate. You've heard that before. It's a great little poem. You can quote it. Taking all this into account, let me ask you the question. Here comes Paul into Corinth. Which spirit spirit were the Corinthians feeding? And what is the spirit feeding that spirit? So what's going on in the human mind, the human psyche, the human soul is different than what goes on in the mind of Christ, in the mind of the Spirit, in the mind of the Christian. You know this, that the story when John the Baptist comes and John the Baptist, having been led by the Spirit from his birth on, to have these inclinations to say, uh, this Jesus is the Messiah, And so in Matthew, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than those uh, than I and whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, John goes out and he teaches this. And a a number of guys, a lot of people go out and get baptized. But some immediately take off from John and they go around the world talking about the baptism of John. But in Acts, when you get later on, Paul meets some of these disciples of John the Baptist. And in Acts 19, he picks this up. They come and meet Paul, who's now been confronted by Christ, the risen Lord, who's got the Spirit. And he says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And the answer said, no. No, we haven't even heard of the Holy. what's this Holy Spirit? We, Jesus was resurrected. We haven't heard that. We, he's ascended. We have. We've been out here on the on the, on the edge of Turkey and Corinth, and out. we've just been spreading the baptism. Repent, repent, repent. And so it's kind of half. It's a truncated gospel, but they get people to pay attention. And Paul comes in and says, "Well, you haven't heard of the Holy Spirit." He said, "Well, what baptism did you receive then?" He said, "Well, John, John said." We just, I just need to repent. And Paul said, John's baptism, an Old Testament reference uh, to the way things, John, as the last of the Old Testament prophets. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. But he told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is isn't Jesus. Well, they had never seen Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, let me say something here. When Paul placed his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. and there were about 12 of these guys. Hear this church. As the Corinthians got caught up in who baptized you?" It was Apollos or Paul, or they missed the point of baptism. So often the church misses the point because we think that if you're baptized, you're a Christian. Did you hear that? Just because you have been baptized into a community of faith, into, if it's Baptist or, or a Reformed Presbyterian, a covenant, a dedication because you've gotten... What makes you a Christian is not getting baptized. It's a sacrament. And yet there are some churches that says, if you are baptized as an infant... You are a Christian. That is not a biblical sentence because baptism doesn't mean that you have been regenerated, born again, made alive through the Spirit coming into your life. And therefore, it's been a question throughout the years what do you do with kids? What do you do with children who are growing up in the church? Well, you baptize them, dedicate them, but that doesn't mean they've been regenerated. That just because you have faith doesn't mean your kids have faith because you're born in a Christian home. And Paul said, no, in the New Testament, they would always go to adults. And the adults who are choosing to follow Christ and believe in Christ were regenerated by the Holy Spirit. But these adults had the baptism of John, but they didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, without getting too complex and into this, I just want to say this. I have no idea how the Spirit of God works to regenerate people. Or when that takes place. There's no magic formula. But when the Spirit of God moves and there's an inclination on the inside of the person to put their faith in Christ, you will see evidence of that throughout time. And just because you get baptized and you don't see evidence... There's a lot of crazy things you have to think about. But this is what Paul would say. He is going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. What Ryan said, I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a soft, pliable, heart, responsive, heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you. And therefore, that's a Christian. Just because you have the name tag Christian doesn't mean you are a Christian. You can put a car in the garage that doesn't make him a, a garage or mouse in the cookie jar it doesn't make him a cookie. But you can't do this in Corinth. But when Paul says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh... But you are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed, and this is the definition of a Christian, a Christian is one who has the Holy Spirit of Christ Jesus living inside of him, period. That's all it is. Nothing more. Whether you're washed or hosed or dipped or sprinkled, it's not about how, it's about who. And if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, they just don't belong to Christ. Now, Paul's not saying this as a judgmental way, he's just being objective, As he's going into Corinthians, he says, we haven't received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we might understand what is freely given to us by God. And Paul wants you to understand that the spirit wants you to understand. Let me say that again. Paul wants you to understand that the spirit of God wants you to understand. And to understand and know how the Holy Spirit works in your life is what they didn't understand in Corinth. And because they didn't understand it, they went back to the flesh. In our book, Understanding People, this is an interesting side note. Uh, In the the book, Understanding People, uh, Larry is talking about the biblical sufficiency and then understanding how that Bible works in the heart of people, and then to see that, that there's a community of those people. But he's talking about there are, there are ways to think, categories of thinking that are biblical, that are not necessarily in the scriptures, like, like raising kids or, or, or technology. There's a lot of things we don't know how to handle, but you have to think biblically, you have to think theologically in our day and age, because a lot of times in the Bible they don't have things like anorexia. And They don't have same-sex marriage like we have it. So you have to have the spirit of wisdom to learn how to think in these categories so that the Bible does speak to our situation. Half of the Americans today, in our culture, you'll find this spirit of this difference. Half of the Americans say the Bible should influence the laws. Do you agree with that? Half say yes, half say no. 28% say, well, we need to put the Bible above the will of the people. There's tension because there's no agreement. And like I mentioned at the beginning, the thing with Corinth that Paul is after, the Spirit is after, is that we have an agreement all together as Christians because it's the way you think about how you are going to live your Christian life, your spiritual maturity. Given the backstory you come from and you know, what you are learning, what you did learn about the gospel, but the natural man... The man of the flesh, Paul says, is unaware of the Holy Spirit. He's closed to the Holy Spirit. He's foolish in thinking about the Holy Spirit. And he's difficult trying to ever attempt to be Christian because it doesn't work. But the spiritual man, Paul says, is a new creature. And the Spirit's open. And the confidence is like God's going to give me some wisdom. And that's called maturity. But the Corinthian man... The Corinthian man is which spirit is being fed. If you don't know about the Holy Spirit, you'll feed the natural man. And that's what's going on. But the natural man, as Paul would say, the mind governed by the flesh is going to be hostile. Therefore, don't be surprised about this fight or resistance, this doubting, this, this, I don't care about these things because the flesh doesn't care about those things. Again, not being judgmental, it's just, that's the way the flesh works. So when Paul goes into Corinth, he's very much aware that if you've been baptized by the Spirit, you may have the Spirit if you are a Christian, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul would say? But they said, no, we don't know that, Paul. We don't know who, we don't have much understanding about that. Oswald Chambers would say, all Christians have the spirit, but not all Christians have the mind of Christ. And that's the difference. There are people who are in church who may or may not know how to grow, but they don't have this appraisal, this discernment to value those things like the kingdom of God, the guy who finds this treasure and goes and sells everything, says, this is valuable. The flesh won't say that's not valuable. And therefore, as I leave this passage for a while, I want you just to hear, I'm going to summarize it here quickly, that you, I want you to hear this, that the Spirit of God wanted those Corinthians to learn that you have fellowship, friendship with Christ, and that you have to live, and by in that relationship, you can learn the mind of Christ and have the Spirit's worldview if you are learning and sharing the lessons that Christ is teaching you. The Holy Spirit wants you to stop feeding the flesh and start walking in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to put the wisdom of the world in perspective so that you understand the colleagues that are in conflict, that you understand and have compassion with the people who are at war, to participate in a kingdom community that respects and follows the Spirit and their leaders, to understand how the flesh, the world, and the devil will never lead to wisdom, or the power of God, and therefore they will never be free or able to love. And the last thing as Paul moves us into, he says, I want you to know that you can speak confidently because you have wisdom among the mature that's not of this age nor are the rulers of this age, but the Spirit of God will give you, touch you, teach you a different kind of thinking. And that's what you... We'll find as he goes into and Paul was trying to correct the Corinthians to remove their reliance on fleshly wisdom and speak with that kingdom wisdom. Well, summarizing those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on the flesh and what the flesh desires. Again, no judgment here. Those who, who are thinking about the Spirit will have the mind set on the Spirit and what the Spirit desires. So truth, then, is agreement with our ideas, with the ideas of God. Wisdom is the agreement of our values with the values of God. Love is the agreement of our spirit to love with the spirit of God. Having that settled, you are now ready to hear the rest of Corinthians. Because if you didn't have this perspective, you will not get what Paul is going to address in the ten concerns The Corinthians are saying to Paul, how do I handle these? And these are the ten concerns. You'll see that sex and sexuality is number one. How does the Spirit of God deal with the wisdom of sexuality? You'll hear that. How does the flesh deal with it? Courts and litigation, marriage, eating meat, sacrifice to idols. These are things that they have to deal with interacting with worldly friends. Moral defilements, the Lord's Supper and worship, spiritual gifts, unconditional love, and the last is about the resurrection. You will have to put on your Mediterranean glasses to hear the Spirit when you hit these issues. But let me make this statement, and then I'm closing. These are the Corinthian issues. They may not be your issues but your issues will have the same spirit addressing your issues. But we're going to learn how to follow the spirit as these people respond to the spirit. This book is an American book. So get ready to sit under the master class. And I would just leave you with this. Ask God to teach you. Be open, learn. In the fellowship, you have lots of questions. This is a learning community. We are God's people. And the Spirit is in all of us. Let's pray. Lord, give us freedom as we, as we really are needing to learn this. And so, uh, but we just are slow learners. Thanks for your patience and thanks for this grace. We pray in Jesus' name for your glory and our growth. Amen.